glad you are here with us this morning as we are continuing our teaching series called Walk This Way. And really walking this way is really to walk in the Jesus way because oftentimes when we talk about Jesus and who he is and what he's about, we often have some image of him that may not be fully accurate of actually who he is. And so what we want to do is we want to discover or rediscover who he is and what he's about. So what we've been doing is going through the Gospel of John to help us to do that. And so as we begin our time together this morning, I want you to think with me about the power of conversation. The power of conversation, how powerful it is when you have a conversation that is meaningful and significant to you. Have you ever had a conversation like that, that changed you? Where you look at your life and you're like, wow, this changed the trajectory of my life. I think of a couple of conversations like that. I think about a conversation I had on November 16th in 1999. November 16th, 1999. That was a long time ago. I was in upstate New York at a place called Word of Life Bible Institute. And I met a, a young woman there named Amy. And Amy and I were friends and we were talking and I said, hey, I want you to meet me at this place on campus called Jack's Snack Shack. Jack's Snack Shack, okay, that's what it was called. That was the best place they had on campus, all right? And so there, I proceeded to say, hey, I wanna move from the friend zone to the boyfriend-girlfriend zone. And I remember those butterflies in my stomach as I began that conversation, and I was like, how do you transition this? Like, how do you make this smooth, you know? And, and I, I remember those, those conversa that conversation very vividly. And later on, as you know or may not know, she became my wife. Um, and, and I'm so grateful for a, a moment like that. I remember a conversation we had in 2007, December of 2007. We were home from a time uh, that we were actually in the New York City area where I was serving as a pastor. And we came back for the holidays. And I remember being at the Chick-fil-A in Trexler Town. With, with Amy. This is before Chick-fil-A White Hall opened, so don't, don't tell my brother, all right? Uh, but this is before that opened. And I remember us sitting across from one another and just talking about, hey, what is God doing? And what is the future that we sense that he has for us? Because we had been praying and discerning about really what this work is called church planning or seeing churches started and, and being a part of, of that process. And so as we started to talk about that, we both sensed, hey, it's time for us to move in that direction. The thing that surprised Amy, though, was when I said, as she asked the question, where, I said, I sense it's back here in the Lehigh Valley, and her face almost, like her mouth almost dropped, right? Her facial expression, like, are you serious? Because for her, it was a miracle, uh, because early on when I was here in the valley, it was, it was a difficult uh, journey for me to understand this community, but that conversation, that conversation had a meaningful impact in our lives. And I just want you to think about all the conversations you've had in your life and the power of engaging others and not only their lives and their stories, but these things that they're shared that have a way of having your direction altered as a result of the conversation. And today what we're going to see is, is Jesus has a conversation like that with somebody. Because Jesus is known for having many conversations. He is incredible about engaging because what makes a conversation so great is not only what's stated and communicated, it's how they're present with you in the conversation. It's about the questions that they ask. It's about the way they listen and then the way that they challenge when it's appropriate to challenge. And Jesus does this all throughout the Gospel 
of John. So I want you to think with me again about conversation. I want you to think about the conversations that have changed you and have impacted you. And with that, we're going to go back to what we heard Aaron so beautifully share with us today in the Gospel of John. John 3 is where we're at today. And we're going to see again this conversation that John, the disciple of Jesus, records for us. It's found in John 3, starting in verse 1. It says this. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. Say Nicodemus with me. All right. There was a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with them. And so what you have to understand about Nicodemus, he's, he's a Pharisee. Now, we often think of Pharisees as people who are just hypocrites, especially if, if you've grown up in the church. You often think, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. But there's also a part of this class of Pharisees that were devout. They actually wanted to honor God. They really wanted to be about God's ways. And Nicodemus was one of those people. He was a member, again, it says, of the Jewish ruling class. And he came to Jesus at night. And many commentators go back and forth. Was he afraid to come in the daytime? I actually think it's what other commentaries say, which is that he wanted to have uninterrupted time with Jesus. He actually wanted to have a meaningful conversation because he had questions. He had questions about who Jesus was. And he says, you know, I, I know, Rabbi, I know you. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. We, we can clearly see that. And really, he's referencing what had happened in the previous chapter and Nicodemus's sincere searching of who this Jesus is, is really built on the miracles and signs that he had seen Jesus do. Because he says, again, these signs you are doing, if God were not with him, he wouldn't be able to do them. And then it goes on to say this. It says, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I want you to say this with me. See the kingdom of God. See the kingdom of God. Unless they are born again. Say that with me. Unless they are born again. And this is really important because he's talking about the ability to see, see something that is not of this world. To see something that is from above. Unless they are born again. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus asks this great question. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their, mother's, into their mother's womb to be born. And all the women said, praise God for that, right? <laughs> praise God. We thank you, Jesus. That's not the case. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, right? But the truth of the matter is, is Nicodemus is trying to understand a supernatural concept in a, in a physical way, in an earthly way, in a worldly way. He, he doesn't understand fully what Jesus is getting at. And so this question is really from a sincere place. He's searching. He's seeking. And then it goes on to say this. It says, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. I want you to say this with me. Enter the kingdom of God. Enter the kingdom of God. It's so important that we don't miss this. Unless they are born 
of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. You must be born again. You shouldn't be surprised about this. And then it goes on to say this here. It says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I, and I love this analogy because at first you're listening to this, and you're like, man, this sounds very philosophical, Jesus, right? <laughs> like, but he's really making a point that the Spirit, you can't contain the Spirit. You can't control the Spirit, right? Spirit, spirit gives birth to Spirit. Flesh gives birth to Spirit. Or flesh gives birth to flesh. But again, he's getting at this idea that the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And it, just like the wind, you know it's, it's happening, but you don't know where it comes from. Just like you see the trees going back and forth. Just like as it gets colder and colder, we experience more darkness and it's colder and the wind's blowing, right? We're in the season called Fenter that I've made up, by the way. Uh, but, but it's a season right in between fall and winter, but I call it Fenter uh, because it's so cold at times. But the wind, when it blows, you, you hear it, you see its effect, but you don't know where it's going. He says, so is everyone born of the Spirit. And this is so key for us to understand. And if you're here today and you are someone who's searching and, and you're someone who is skeptical or have questions, I want you to know when we walk with Jesus, he welcomes us with those questions. He doesn't shun us. He brings us near. And you see this with Nicodemus. You see him really having this back and forth with Jesus. And those of us who are followers of Christ, there's so much for us to learn about how we even engage in these conversations of those who are spiritually seeking and how we view our lives as we join what God has for us. So as we think about this, here's the first question I want to give to us. What does it mean to be born again for entrance into the kingdom of God? What is it that Jesus is getting at? Because I don't want us to miss this. Because one of the things that can happen when we get into a conversation like this about being born again. It's one of those slogans that's often thrown around, but we don't often in our vernacular as Christians fully understand what it means. And so it starts to be something we put on a banner or a sign, but we don't understand the magnitude of what Jesus is getting at. Because to be born again really means to be born from above. That's really what that means. And to be born from above allows us to have eyes to see the kingdom of God, and to enter in to the kingdom of God, to be a part of the kingdom that is not of this world, but to join Jesus in what he's doing. So as we think about this, I want to just give you some succinct definitions to help us have clarity around it. The first part is this, to be born again means to surrender to Jesus as your Savior. To surrender, to say, I trust you, I recognize my need. I'm unable to rescue and to save myself. I need what only you could do for me. I see you for who you are, and I see myself for who I am, and that I'm unable to do it. I have no hope apart from you. And so I'm putting my faith and my trust in your life, death, burial, and resurrection, and that you are over both life and death, that you've ascended up to heaven, and you're returning one day, but to surrender, to see Jesus for who 
he is. And Nicodemus was in that process of trying to figure out who this Jesus is. But have you come to the point of surrender to him, to put your trust in Christ? Because he's inviting each and every one of us to do that. And the next part of this is entrance into the kingdom of God is by the Spirit who enables us to experience Jesus daily. And I want you to hear this. To be born again, to be born from above allows us to see the kingdom and have entrance into it, but it's by the Spirit. And I thank God that he never left us on our own power or strength, but by the power of the Spirit within us as we give ourselves daily over to his work and to his ways, that he's forming us and shaping us into the likeness of Christ. And, I, and I'm grateful that as I think about the work of the Spirit and what he's doing in us, he wants to do something through us as well. He wants us to see as he sees. He wants us to join him where he's working. He wants us to be sensitive to the invitations and the things that are in our lives that are missing out on what he's intended and created us for. That we would be a people that would freely join him when he brings about the conviction that he brings. But again, he enables us to experience Jesus daily. We're not waiting for a future date for that to happen. That happens today. This is a preview of that coming day. We'll perfectly experience the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. But we're a preview of that day. And we get to join Jesus today. We get to experience him today. And this is so good. This is good news for us because, again, if you take born again and you subtract out the kingdom of God and the seeing the kingdom of God and the entrance into the kingdom of God, you miss out on the fullness of what it is actually Jesus has provided for you. He's come to give us something, life that is full and abundant, life that's marked by his joy, hope, and peace, and love. And it continues on here as we read through this passage. It says this, this this is Nicodemus. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Again, he's not trying to mock Nicodemus, but he's saying, hey, you're a teacher. You're someone that has been studying the Old Testament. You're someone who's sincere. How do you not understand these things? That again, spirit gives birth to the spirit. How do you not understand these concepts? What is it that you're missing? What is it that are the gaps in your life? And then for us, what is it for us that Jesus would say, how do you not know this? What is it that's causing us maybe to miss him for the fullness of who he is? What is it in our own lives? Well, it continues on here. It says this, very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know. And when he says we, what we know, we speak of what we know. This is Nicodemus and the other Pharisees. And we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And now Jesus is going back and forth with Nicodemus. He's saying, hey, listen, if I speak of earthly things and you don't get it, how are you going to understand these heavenly things? How are you going to be able to understand what it is that I'm trying to convey and communicate to you? Well, then it goes on to say this, and this is the conversation continues on. It says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one 
who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so when you read this and you hear what's being said, it's, it's beautiful language because it reminds us of what Jesus has come to do for us. I was in a conversation actually this week, speaking of the power of conversation, with my, my buddy Z. And Z is the owner, one of the, the owners and founders of this restaurant called True Blue. You guys have heard me talk about True Blue before. And so him and I had this conversation and we were talking about life and leadership, but then we got on the topic of our faith journeys. And Z is, is Muslim, and so I was hearing how he came to that place. And, and as I was listening and we were just having these conversations, the conversation turned about Jesus. And he was explaining to me about how in, their, in his faith that they believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus was an incredible prophet. But he did such good work that they took, that God took him out of, of this world in order for him not to experience what we would believe, him being murdered on a cross. And so we started to talk about his faith and their, their uh, perspective on that. And I started to say, well, I want to explain to you from our perspective. And it was very respectful, by the way. It was a great conversation. I said, you know, in our faith tradition, here's, here's what we're holding on to. We're holding on to the idea that our lives apart from Jesus, our lives apart from Jesus is a constant uh, sense of trying to earn something, to climb the ladder, to make the scales right with God. And we talked about what sin is. Sin is to miss the mark, even just by a little bit. And we continue to try to work and try to even out the scales. And we try to climb the ladder. We try to build out our resume. We try to prove that we've done enough good. And we're trying to do that to make right with what's broken within us and what's broken within the world. But here's the thing. We can never climb enough rungs in the ladder. We can never do enough. So what God did is he sent Jesus who came down from the ladder in heaven and pursued each and every one of us and made a way through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's through Jesus. And then as you read even what is said here, what Jesus is communicating, he's talking about a time where the nation of Israel was disobedient and they were bitten by these snakes. And the only way that they could be healed is, is to look up here. It says right here in verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And as he lifted up, that snake, if they looked upon it, they were healed. They were set free. They were not uh, taken over by the venom that had bitten them. In the same way for us, the venom of sin that destroys our lives, the death that it causes for us and the destruction and the separation from God and what we were created for. When we put our eyes on Jesus, as it says here, it says that everyone who believes may have eternal life. As we look to Jesus, we look at the one who came down from the ladder of heaven. We will have life. And to believe is not just to know, it's actually to recognize very fully and to live according to this truth that Jesus, apart from you, I can't make my life make sense. I can't earn what it is that only you could do for me. I can't make right my imperfections, no matter how much I do, no matter how much I have, no matter how much success I have, I can't do it. And you did it for me. You did for me what I could never do for myself. And that's why Jesus goes on to say this, as we read through this. It says, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son, that whoever would put their trust in him, whoever would declare their need for him, who would ever say, I need what only you have provided for me, would have eternal life. This life that begins the day that we put our trust in Christ. This day, this life that says we have the fullness of joy that's found in Christ. This abundant living that's marked by the purposes of Christ. And while our bodies may die, <laughs> we know that even in that, there is a hope and an assurance for us. But we don't have to wait till we get to heaven. We can let heaven get in us today. Because eternal life starts the day we begin and trust in Jesus. Amen? And are, are we living like that? Are we living like that? Are we aware of the presence of God and what he's doing in our lives and what, he, what it is that he has for us? Because he didn't come to condemn us. He came to give us life. And so as we think about this, here's a question for you. Do you think God is out to condemn or love you? Some of us right now, we've been brought up in a tradition that says all he wants to do is condemn. All Christians are known for is condemning. All the church is known for is condemning. But really, what we miss is, is that he has given everything for each and every one of us. He loves us so much. And so we're going to get to the part of what condemnation actually comes from and what it looks like. But I, I don't want us to miss this, that God, he asks, he's out to get you, but not the way you think. <laughs> He's out to get you, not in a way that would cause you to miss out on the life you were created for, but to give you the life you were created for. He made you on purpose and for a purpose. And again, do you think God is out to condemn or love you? What would you say to that question? And that's something for us to take inventory on. Because if we think about this, the next part of this is that God's love for us led him to send his son for us. It's his love. For God so loved the world that he gave. And, and the world speaks of all humanity, every person. He loved us so much that he gave. And when you love someone so much, you can't help but give of yourself, your resources, what you have. I mean, just think about that in your own life. Like if someone tells you, hey, I love you, but they never give anything, is that really love? No. Because love is connected to sacrifice and generosity. Love is connected to giving of oneself. And as much as we could give, how much more does our Heavenly Father give to us in Jesus? Again, God's love for us led him to send his son for us. And I just want you to think about the deep love for you. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. For God so loved you and I want you to just own that. I want you to make that personal. Because if we don't make it personal, it's just some verse we read about and that we see on a sign, John 3.16 at a football game. But we don't see the magnitude of what that means for me and then what it means for the people around me. He loves me. He loves you. He loves all people so much that he gave. He gave his one and only son. 
that whoever would believe wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. Well, as we continue on here in John, it says this, John 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And I just want you to hear this, what he's saying, because it's really key that we don't miss this. Whoever believes, whoever puts their trust, whoever says, I have no hope apart from you, apart from my life being hidden in you, God, through Jesus, through his finished work on my behalf, whoever believes that won't be condemned, they won't be condemned. But whoever does not believe that stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So as we think about this, when we don't choose Jesus, we stand before God condemned. It's not that he's condemning us, but rather he's inviting us into this. This is a decision, though, that we have to decide. Are we willing to come to the place where we recognize our need for a Savior? I want you to hear this. This is a pursuit of a prodigal people. He's coming after you with this great love. But the condemning comes when we say, I don't want what you have. And as a result, Jesus is this perfect gentleman, so he gives us what we want, which is a life apart from him. But he's made a way. He's made a way. Again, he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into world, to, to the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. The light is here, and you've maybe noticed today this light behind me. It keeps flickering a little bit, right? Yeah, I know, I know. There's something going on. You know, the spirit's at work, right? You know, you know. But this light flickering all throughout our lives, there are these flickering lights that are reminding us of the truth, reminding us of what's good and true and right and just and lovely. It's reminding us of those things, but oftentimes we ignore the light. You know, I know many of you have been trying to do that all day. You're like, oh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to focus, but all this light keeps flickering me. Is, is this an episode of Stranger Things? What's going on here? You know, so, I hope something's not coming out of the wall. You know, like what's going to happen next? You know, but, but the idea here is that the light's flickering. But will we pay attention? Will we have our eyes open? Will we see it? Or will we say, oh, no, it's not here? Instead of going towards the light, we go towards darkness. Instead of going towards the truth, we go towards lies. And here's what's crazy, is oftentimes in our culture, we call what's light, dark. And we call what's a lie, the truth. And this is the challenge for us in our day, to have the discernment to be like, wait a minute, God, these flickering lights are coming. They're coming. There's a verdict here. The verdict is here already, it says. And then it goes on to say this. It says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in, in the sight of God. And so all he's getting at is just our human condition. Because by the way, we're all apart from God, spiritually dead. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Amen? So our issue isn't like we're just a bunch of bad people. No, no, no. We're spiritually dead. We're spiritually bankrupt, and we need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need someone to do for us what we could not do for ourselves because this is the description of all of us to some extent. This is the description to all of our lives apart from Jesus. 
But again, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that they, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And, and really what he's getting at here is when we walk in the truth, when we walk in the truth, when we not just believe a truth, but we live by the truth, then we live and stand in the light. And we know through the beginning of John's gospel, he talks so much about life and light that's found in Christ. Because living in the truth is to walk in the light and to be right in God's sight. So that what we do as a result of acknowledging the truth about our condition apart from God and acknowledging who he is and, and recognizing our need for him and putting our trust in him and joining him, then what we do, what we do is done in a place that it's right in the sight of God. Because in, inwardly, we're being changed. And then outwardly, that's leading how we're going about our lives. We're being formed into the likeness of Christ that is leading to transformation into our lives. Again, living in the truth is to walk in the light and to be right in God's sight. Well, as we continue on here, I want to introduce you to a show that I think you should watch, all right? Uh, this is called The Rings of Power. How many of you guys have seen this already? Rings of Power, Rings of Power. Okay, so some, some of you, I see that hand, I see that hand. All right, cool. Well, listen, here's the thing. This is really cool, <laughs> by the way. It's on Amazon Prime, but here's the deal. The thing I love about this is it, it's a telling of the, the, the book Lord of the Rings, and they do such a great job with it. But one of the most powerful things I've taken away from this, and I won't do any spoiler alerts right now, okay? One of the most powerful things they do is describe what we just read about. Because oftentimes the things that look like, look like light are actually darkness. And the things that look like darkness are actually light. And it takes the eyes of Jesus to actually see clearly what is true and what is right. And to walk in that truth because it, it looks so in the midst of it, so confusing and we're disoriented and we're like, oh, what's happening? In our own lives as well, I think there are times where, where wisdom is needed that only can come from above, right? We, we talked about being born again, born from above, the wisdom from above. We need that in our lives as well to walk in the truth, to stand in the truth, to live in the truth. And that truth, again, transforms us. It sets us free. It allows us to join Jesus in what he has for our lives. So as we think about this, I want to give you a couple more things as we wrap up our time today. And it's simply this, that God so loved you that he gave his son for you. And we've said this throughout, but I don't want you to miss this because this great battle that we even see in the Lord of the Rings and this spiritual battle that we read about in the scriptures, praise be to God that the answer is found in Jesus. And so I want you to just turn to your neighbor and just say this to them. God so loved you that he gave his son for you. Go ahead on three. One, two, three. All right. I want you to do it again, but now this time I want you to do it with some conviction. Like you actually believe it. You ready? Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Go for it. Yes. I love it. Had someone like Bethann stand up and start bringing it. I love it. Because I, we need to hold on to this because the next part is just as important. God so loved your neighbor that he gave his son for them. Even the neighbor you don't agree with. Even the neighbor that votes differently than you. Even the neighbor, I know. I know, it's true. It's true. It's crazy to think. Even, even, even the neighbor or even the, the coworker, which is another way to look at neighbor, that when you try to go to work with them, you're like, I just do not get 
you. I don't like it's like two ships passing in the night, right? I don't but he he loved them so much that he gave his one and only son for them. You know, think about what it is in your own life. Those people, not just the people you like, not the people, not just the people that are just like you in the sense that they like all the things you like. Every person. He did this for them. It's beautiful. He did this for them. And so in light of that, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to consider and and to, to think about the following. And it's this, if God so loved you that he gave his son, will you give yourself to him? We give yourself to him. That's the first part. And let your life be a vessel of his love and light towards others. If he loved you so much that he gave everything, what is it in you that you're unwilling to give? That kind of love. Are you willing today to say, I'm making that trade. I'm making that trade to first maybe begin a relationship with God, but instead of holding back my life, even if I say I've accepted Christ, I want to give you everything because you gave everything for me. I'm just responding to this radical love, this radical love, this perfect love, this extraordinary love. I didn't earn, I didn't deserve, but you gave freely for me. And then will I allow my life to be a vessel of his love and his light towards others? Will I allow that to take place and take shape in my life? Wherever I go, will I have eyes to see? Will I be a flickering light like these lights back here? Will I do that? Will I flicker the light of Jesus wherever I go or whoever I'm in contact with? Will I look for those kind of opportunities? Because when we recognize this, we see with clarity what really matters. We see Jesus matters and people matter. And if there are things in our lives that are holding us back from responding to what it is that God has for us, it may be because we don't believe that he loves us. And we may not even get what that actually fully means. And I want you to consider, do you fully get that? Do you believe that? And then the second part, that he loves those that are lovable and those who are unlovable in your life. He loves them. And if he loves them, who are we to withhold love? Who are we not to be a people who are marked with his love and light? Because he's forever changed us from the inside out. Let's pray together. Father, right now, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the flickering lights and all the ways in which you're reminding us of your goodness and your grace towards us. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that any chain that's holding us down would be broken, a chain that doesn't allow us to sense and to experience and see your love for us and your love for others, Lord whether that's the chain of bitterness, unforgiveness, whether that's the chain of our own pride, whether that's the chain of self-righteousness, whether that's the chain of I'm the ultimate authority of my life, I know better than God knows. Whatever the chain is, whatever the the chain is when it comes to people-pleasing, the chain it comes with always having to be right, the chain of I gotta have my opinion heard every single time about every single thing, whatever the chain is, Jesus, would that stuff just melt off us? Because nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to who you are and what you've done for us. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one of us today. I pray that today, if anyone here hasn't begun a relationship with you, today they would do as Nicodemus would go on to do. As we read through 
the Gospel of John. He later on becomes a follower of you, Jesus. He's there at your crucifixion and helps with the burial of you. And so, Lord, I thank you for even his faith. I thank you for your welcoming in of Nicodemus. And I pray, Jesus, that we would be people who have that same type of hospitality wherever we go. That we'd be people who flicker your light and your love. And then, Lord, I just pray, even as we go out this, this week, as great as today is, Lord, we, we believe that your kingdom cause is advancing. Our time is now. And we want to join you in what it is you're doing. Those who have put their trust in you, you say that you give us eyes to see the kingdom and entrance into the kingdom and that we have eternal life through Jesus. I pray we would live as such, as kingdom citizens who are forever changed and marked by your love and your truth. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this time to gather. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.